Hey, look, if there's one thing you've heard me say in this show week after week, it's how valuable my improv training has been for my voiceover career. And I don't think there's any place better in town than the Second City Hollywood Training Center. And not only do I teach there, but the tremendous staff of Second City alumni and teachers bring to life a fantastic curriculum of rock-solid improv training for every level of student. That's from folks who are just looking to get a little bit of basic improv training to make their auditions and their film and TV work come to life. To folks who are hungry for the entire Second City show crafting process, you can get it all. We've even got specialty workshops on acting, writing, a directing program. I teach an intro to voiceover class that I think is the best deal in VO training in town. And exclusively for listeners of this podcast, you can get 15% off your first session of improvisation by entering the code all over when you sign up online. So come and learn from the best at Second City Hollywood and discover how improv can ignite your performance career as well. Either call us at 323-464-8542 or go to www.secondcity.com and click the Hollywood Training Center link to take your life to the next stage. Next stage. See, they get the pun? All right, all right. Let's start the show. Uh, I, I paid 99 cents for it. That's lovely. <laughs> what's up, what's up? Welcome to another episode of All Over VoiceOver with Kip VH. I'm your host, Kip Vanderhubel. Welcome. Uh, thank you for tuning in once again. And with me in studio, uh, this is a, a really, it's a cool moment uh, for me to have to have my guest in just because I've known you probably longer than most um Actors, certainly actors in this in the city. Mark Evan Jackson is uh, is in the house. Hello, hello. We went to Calvin College together. That's true. Um, thirty years? Not thirty years ago. No, thirty years. Nearly. Ago. Yeah. Nearly. Yeah. I uh, I think I probably met you in 1988. Yeah. Man, kind of crazy. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> yeah. But how did you how did you find yourself going there of all places? I know you're you're from. From New York. I'm from Buffalo, New York, yeah. I, um, you know, I grew up in a religious household in a Christian family, and uh, Calvin College is a, a Christian school. And But I had gone to very good public schools growing up, and at the time, my life is different than it is now, and I really wanted to get a more academic uh, take on religion and theology. Huh. You know, I'd done uh, Sunday school and youth group and Bible studies and all that stuff growing yeah. up. Um and I thought, you know, college was, first of all, a very scary prospect. And I wasn't headed in any particular direction. Uh, I remain that today. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I checked out all these schools. My parents were very cool and drove me to Gordon Barrington outside of Boston, Houghton College in the southern tier of uh, New York State, um, Geneva, which is outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I didn't want to go to Wheaton because I had friends that, uh, from home that were going there. Yeah. So I didn't want to go there. And uh, all those schools uh, were pledge schools that said you could you had to sign a pledge saying you wouldn't drink, dance or smoke while you were enrolled at those schools. Which yeah. It the seemed to the me, Christian College Coalition has their sort of their NDA, basically. I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it all it seemed really punitive and mm -hmm. uh, mean spirited. And, <laughs> you know, with the exception of dancing, I think I guess I smoked a pipe in high school. But uh, with the exception of dancing, like I wasn't a drinker or anything, but it yeah. just seemed like, well, hang on, I think. I think college is when you're supposed to try that stuff. Um, so it just seemed like a, you know, a uh, uh, technicality to to kick people out on kind of thing. Yeah. And so uh, the last of the schools that I visited was Calvin. And across the uh, – when we got to Fridays at Calvin, which is their, their tour thing, um, I – across – in butcher paper across the front of Bolt Heinz Timmer, one of the dorms, it said, all campus dance tonight. And I was like, hang on. It seems a little different. Yeah. So Calvin, which is a, uh, you know, I think my my worldview has changed uh, drastically since my time there. Mm. But uh, Calvin, ironically, is, a, you know, uh, associated with a fairly conservative denomination. Yeah. But given its size, it's a little bit larger. I think it's 4,500 students or somewhere in that neighborhood. That sounds right. It's a... Uh, it's a fairly liberal college. It truly is. Uh, compared to some of the others that I looked at. Um 
and it's a place where I got a great education despite my efforts. I, uh, I think I disagree with them on a lot of uh, issues, uh, spiritual and political uh, these days. But um, yeah, I'd, uh, it was a place that framed the way that I think. I mean, they taught me to be skeptical and, uh, yeah. and allowed me to do so. I had some wonderful, wonderful instructors there. I feel the same way. I feel like that place really... I, I, it was preordained that I was going to go because I was Dutch, Dutch, and from Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. and it was the school. Yeah, and I and everybody in my family who went to college went there. Yeah. Um, what was interesting to me is my mom was an art major, and she was very much like trust the arts at Calvin. Yeah, trust them. Um, and I was like, ah, well, I didn't have a choice, but but kind of, I said, okay. And I'm really grateful for that for that time and those people and and yeah for sure you know and, and all those things especially I think like there was the there was the academic side but then outside of that the perimeter of that the mm-hmm. improv stuff the which I mean for both of us was a massive impact yeah I mean yeah. did you do were you, you were were you doing improv on campus so you started doing after right with River City long after yeah I um I was part of the Calvin Theater. Club thespians thespians uh, for about five minutes uh, my freshman year, they wanted me to come paint the set for Caucasian Chalk Circle and I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, and uh, and also it was a time like it was a it was a little bit of a turnoff and I'm sure you know these people. I think you were far more involved than I was. Yeah. Um, but it, there were some stars there and it seemed like a lot of people wearing black turtlenecks and dark lipstick, smoking thin cigarettes, and you know just shy of berets. And it was like. I don't like these people at all. <laughs> I had done a play or two in high school kind of thing and, you know, grew up doing a ton of music. And so um, I was mm. part of the – something in the Calvin College uh, catalog used to say like the Calvin Theater is something, a club, not – a class, not a club or a club, not a class. It was something framed that way. Okay. Anyway, it was years after – a couple years after I graduated that um, that friends of ours who were starting River City Improv – uh, initially asked my uh, former roommate, Conrad Bacher, to come play the piano for them. Okay. And he was like, I don't want to do this. You go do it. And I showed up at the first rehearsal and was wowed. Like mm-hmm. I saw what they were doing and I you know, was like, oh, we have to find somebody else to come play the piano because I want to do what you guys are doing for the rest of my life. Yeah. Like it was, uh, it was a true aha moment. And that led to me being on stage with River City Improv for several years and then uh, – my job job in Grand Rapids, um, I'd done several things, but I was working for the National Public Radio Affiliates at WGVU, and um, the Second City Touring Company from Detroit came through town, and I befriended their producer, George Bernius, yeah. and said, hey, man, if you ever hold auditions, let me know, and a few months later, they did, and uh, that's how I became... I I made the mistake, arguably, of putting all my music on my resume, huh. so they hired me sight unheard to come play the piano for the touring company, which I did for a few months, and then uh, soon was the main stage musical director in Detroit, and then uh, then on stage. But yeah, I mean, improvisation is the key to everything. Everything. Yeah. We're, uh, going back real quick, please. Was uh, when you were at was that your first time on radio when you were at NPR? There uh, is that. How did you How did you find yourself doing well, doing doing that? Getting into that world. Uh, I think like a lot of things in life, uh, completely accidentally. Hmm. So I've uh, I grew up listening to NPR in Buffalo. I gl- grew up t- uh, listening to um, WNED, and uh, I think uh, the station out of out of the University of Buffalo, and uh, you know knew it. I mean, it was it was my afternoon spent in uh, with my mother in the car coming t- uh, to and from piano lessons and French horn lessons and percussion lessons, and so all things considered was you know, uh, a really seminal part of my upbringing. And so I happened to be living on, uh, do you remember the liquor store Smitty's in Easttown? <laughs> Very well, yeah. yes. Uh, I was living down the block from that uh, with a couple of roommates, a couple of uh, guys, um, Colin Yeager and Jonathan Van Atwerpen. And uh, <clears throat> living next door to us was Scott Vanderwerf. And I was like, sweet, Scott Vanderwerf, are you a jazz DJ on WGVU? And he's like, yeah, man. And I said, I love public radio. Uh, and I, so they were at the time a jazz and news station. And uh, he was like, you should come work there. And Grand Rapids was a town, and I think it likely still is, where, um, you know, 
it's a really great proving ground because mm. it's not saturated. Mm. So you, if you yeah. like River City Improv was like, we're going to start an improv company and they just did. Yeah. And they're still going, you know, yeah. like um, it's a it's a great place, it's sort of fruitful uh, uh, soil to to try something. So mm. I, you know, went and applied and they uh, for, I think, a job that didn't exist. And they were like, well, you could you could be on the radio from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Saturdays. Uh, and it was just it was recording bulk feeds off the satellites and it was doing time and temperature. Basically, it was legal IDs. It was saying uh-huh. you're tuned to 1480 a.m. and 88.5 FM WGVU. The time is 10 o'clock, you know, and it was just that stuff. So it started with that. And then that turned into that plus Sundays, uh, 6 a.m. to noon. So I was working seven days a week. And then um, then they fired or I think with the the. Producer for the five five day a week, Monday through Friday, the Bill Freeman show. Do you remember Bill Freeman? Yeah. He's out here now. What? He's a pastor. No yeah, kidding. In uh I'll think of it, somewhere out here in California. Um yeah, he uh his producer went to go work for WZZM Channel thirteen. Uh-huh. And I became the producer of the Monday through Friday nine to noon call in talk show um with Bill Freeman. And uh Screening calls, booking guests, all that jazz. Yeah. And um, and then as happens in radio, they fired him on a Friday and were like, yeah, I think, you know, our news director subbed for a few weeks. But then they were like, you're the host of the morning show. It was, you know, and I was dumber then than I am now. And it was like I was talking to, you know, the governor and senators and, <laughs> you know, school board people. Like, I can't imagine looking back at those air checks like it has to be. Like I was so afraid to offend and knew nothing. I don't. I don't know much now. Um, and to think back on those days, and you know, the interviews must have been super cushy and soft, and, and yeah. know nothing. But I mean, I was thrown into it. Yeah. And then you, um, you know, you begin to, you begin to find your voice. I guess. What a kick in the head! That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Completely accidental. How did that? Did Did you do? Um, this work when you got to Detroit as well, once you got started with Second City, I know Second City is kind of all-encompassing. It's once a black hole, yeah. Yeah, you just immerse yourself completely in process and all that other stuff. But you oh, guys did some outside stuff as well. Yeah? A little bit. I mean, we we would do things with uh, the Second City. So uh, very early on in my time there, our producer, Rico Bruce Wade, uh, got a relationship with uh, Channel 7. And we were kind of doing sketchy bumpers for a Saturday night movie night on Channel 7. And that was our SNL. Like, that was a place – it was a really good skill set. And I, I honestly think it's why a lot of us are working today because um, we were in the process at the time, too. We were writing our next stage show for the main stage company and doing this thing. So Dude, All of that during process. Mm-hmm. So we were writing all the time. Man. And we were we were – mining gold out of the smallest nugget of of a kernel of an idea just trying to go okay we need content for for saturday for uh i think it was called um oh i can't cinema seven with the second city or something like yeah. along, along those lines yeah um it was kind of like the uh you know uh Svengooli, like it was you know the bumpers it was like dinner in a movie kind of thing yeah um, but it was sketch, and it was uh, Keegan Michael Key and Larry Joe Campbell and Mary Jane Porries and Catherine Chittick and Mark Warzeka and Anton McKay. Um, like we were all, you know, Margaret Exner, Edward Towski, Like we were all in it, uh, just running, and it was a great training ground for creativity because it was just like go, do yeah. something, yeah. grab a wig, here's a bit. It's going to be on TV. It's whatever, gonna, get Saturday. it done. Yeah, get it done. Um, so yeah, we were in the process with all that. Um, but in terms of like, uh, you know, VO and on-camera commercial stuff, um, very little. There was very like Second City was, first of all, very reticent to let you go do something uh, rather than be in rehearsal. Yes. They made you feel it. Uh, you felt bad about yourself. Um, <laughs> yes. But I can remember doing a handful of things. Greg Trescoma and I had a campaign for like um, NASCAR or something. Oh, wow. Running for a little while uh, on camera. And then um, I can remember doing a handful of voiceover auditions in Detroit, but it yeah. was um, it was a different time. It was before the internet, so yeah. it's not like we were recording. I can remember I bought my first laptop when I lived in Detroit. You know, I bought it from <laughs> Joe Jane's. <laughs> Did you really buy mm-hmm. Joe Jane's laptop? Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. Yeah, 
it was it, it was an interesting time to be coming up because I was at, yep. at that exact same time starting to penetrate in that market as well mm-hmm. in terms of you have one agent who handles well two because no one was exclusive there. No one. I don't think they still are. I, 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 I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think the market's too small there, and it's yeah. like oh, this copy came to one or it goes to one or the other. I think they're almost more like casting directors than yeah. talent agents, right? That's, That's absolutely right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. It feels way more consistent with that sort of model. Right. That it's like we have the work come and check it out. Right. And and you you know the and the booth is the same room that you record your on camera stuff in. It's right. just the space that you have. Yeah. Um but I, I mean it was still it's still it's a union town and mm-hmm. it was one of the cool things about that about that market of making that transition out of from being a non-union guy trying to figure stuff out to quickly becoming a union person if you want to work in that town mm-hmm. and then learning the ropes of all that. I got um, Taft-Hartley there. Uh, I was not there long enough. I, I got, you know, must join or whatever yeah. uh, when I first arrived here. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Um, I was from a something I can't remember. It's either Marathon Gas or some car commercial. It was a J. Walter Thompson thing uh-huh. in Detroit that I was like taft Hartley for. So when I arrived here and uh, booked my first uh, guest spot on a television show, um, I had to join the union then. So okay. I joined out here. Okay. Yeah. When did you come? How, how, what was your trajectory from Detroit? Because you came straight to LA from Detroit. Yeah. I did, which wasn't really my choice. I, um, mm. I, you know, really was thinking, um, uh, I was really thinking Chicago was going to be the next step for me sec- uh, to go to the second city there and, you know, maybe be on a, uh, the ETC or, uh, you know, with Hope the Main Stage at some point. Yeah. And I reached out and was in no uncertain terms told, uh, we don't need any more smart white guys in Chicago. <laughs> and uh, I was like, okay. And, uh, and I asked about L.A. and was told, like, we don't know anything about L.A., which remains true to this day. <laughs> that's true so i was like you know i I briefly entertained new york i didn't really know anybody there Mm -hmm. um and just even from thousands of miles away could could guess that uh los angeles is a far more hospitable place to be an out-of-work actor than new york city yeah uh just seasonally and expense and all that stuff um so I uh, and also uh, my friends Eric Black and Larry Joe Campbell had come out here. Um, Catherine and David Chittick were out here, so I knew that like at least I'd have a couch to crash on the first few nights while I found my bearings, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I put all my stuff in a truck and headed west. That's fantastic. Yeah. What's I mean, the the that whole there's something that just still even reflecting on it even after being out here for a little while is so daunting and like exciting and terrifying and and everything that's involved with making a, a cross country move and it, it feels it's interesting to me your process of going to Calvin mm-hmm. has has a similar texture to it you didn't necessarily know anybody you were kind of leaping into it and seeing let's see what this is like yeah yeah but i mean i i think all of life felt that way at the time hmm. you know like i i probably am one of those people that um given different circumstances wasn't meant for a four-year school at like I left when I went to Calvin I was 17 years old like I think I had maybe just turned 18 in August um it uh I didn't know what I wanted to study it was a tremendous expense and risk to you know put me in that like I was not a good student I'm still not uh you know that's not really how I learn like I'm a kind of experiential learner. Hmm. Um, my wife is a person that if you sent her into a room with a stack of books, she'd come out with a PhD. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would build a fort uh, <laughs> from the books. You know, like I'm just not that person. Um, they would not get read. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, th- I think that, you know, I mean, Calvin felt very, there's actually a photograph of me sitting on a lawn between like, uh, Rooks Van Dellen and Beats Beanster or one of those uh, dorms, uh, like the moment before my parents are going to get back in the car and drive away, like they had taken me to school and they're about to go. And you can see the sum total of fear of the cosmos in my eyes. Like it's it's daunting. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, coming out here um, seems really recent. And, uh, yeah. and also seems like I've been here 40 years. Like things are starting to move in my career, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, I've also been here 16 years. So, Man. yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. 
how long did it take you to kind of really feel like that you had you know you know that that transition of getting into a town and then being like I'm here now this is now my home and right. there's the, there's the declaration of that and saying I am now a this sure. versus feeling it um it took a very long time for me and I think that uh I think that that's probably natural but I think mm-hmm. I'm also I probably lean towards feeling like an outsider and maybe that's universal too I don't know but um I can remember being uh here initially and thinking like I'm gonna get arrested, like they're gonna co- some the cops are gonna pull up on me and go like What are you doing here? <laughs> and be like, because I was broke and my my car died the the day before I was gonna drag it out here. Oh man! Behind a budget rental truck, like it it it, it committed suicide, like it was not gonna come. Um, so I was like without transportation and absolutely destitute, and uh, and I just thought they're gonna roll up on me and be like justify your existence, and I'd be like you're right. I should be. Send me back home. I'm gonna go wait tables at Union Street. I I, like, f- I feel that same way. Yeah. And for the for the longest, I felt that way in Chicago too. But 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 um but more so here because it had occupied such a space of importance mm-hmm. throughout my life. Oh yeah. I need to. I, you know. And then to to start getting little little just little ice picks into it and being mm-hmm. like, no, I, I I've got friends yeah. and work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, places I like to go, restaurants I've eaten at before that, you know, like, um, it's a, it, Los Angeles is such a spread out town hmm. that it's, uh, it was a little bit of a culture shock. I mean, a money was, it's a far more expensive town, but also in Detroit, like most of us would finish every night in the same pub. Like we'd see your friends almost every day yeah, and you'd, you know, you'd, uh, stop for a nightcap or whatever and you'd see almost everyone you knew <laughs> yeah most nights a week um that's not the case here you know like i have friends uh, lots of friends in this town and i did right away but like keegan lived 45 minutes east larry lived 45 minutes south like it's not you're not going to bump into them like right. you got a plan and uh much like my book for it i am not a planner <laughs> yeah it's a culture shock a little bit um but it uh you know i think it's i think it's valuable to realize um that everybody has those feelings. You know, everybody yeah. has the feeling of like, I don't belong. Um, is this ever going to work? You know, uh, questioning whether you should go home and do something else. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's a tough journey. Um, for people starting out in it, you know, like I've definitely uh, gleaned some lessons throughout the years, but um, as they as they tell you early on, like if you can fathom yourself doing anything else, Go do that. Consider it yeah. seriously. Yeah, consider that pretty seriously because it's uh, it is daily rejection, and there are ways to you know to frame that that uh, don't seem so uh, soul crushing. But it's you know like you are not going to get that job that you're auditioning for today. Like, mm-hmm. and you better not need it. You better yeah. not need that job. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a friend of ours yesterday when we were <laughs> sitting over at at two hundred South. Yeah, and she was like, "I'm paying bills right now, sitting outside this callback audition, and uh, it's it's changing the way I feel about what I'm about to go do because I'm paying these bills and I'm letting money go out, and now it makes me need what I'm about to do even oh, that's more. A mistake. And I don't want that yeah. energy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it is. It's it's a it's it's that that part of it is something that I never felt." prepared for about this work mm-hmm. I, I it everything is about from you've already booked the job you're there day one table read with people right. versus how do I prepare and hunt and get this work mm-hmm. and if I was crafting some sort of uh, preparation for this kind of thing it would it would really focus way more on that than on the on the nuts and bolts work of it oh I think relationships are huge uh, that's one thing um Specifically about voiceover that I uh, and I don't know you've likely discussed this on on this show and probably have strong feelings about it. But I have a lot of um, you know I like meet younger people in the business and they're like, oh, you go into your agency? And I was like, yeah, as often as I can. And they're like, oh, I can do it from home. I was like, well, anybody can do it from home. Um, it's super good to go and remind them that you're you know. Uh, available and funny and nice and that if they book you on something you're going to show up and just top of mind awareness you know out of sight pardon me out of sight out of mind and they're going to forget that you exist 
Um, and, you know, rather than just be some voice on an MP3, yeah. um, go and have, have them go, oh, you know who's great for this? Kiff. Like we're, because those jobs come in where they're like, we need this in an hour. We're going to send it to four people. Right. Make sure you're one of those four people. And a lot of that's about relationships. Los Angeles is a very small town. Hollywood is a very small town. And everything, you know, like the, you have to be great at it. So you better be great at voiceover. And if you're not great, you better be taking classes and doing workshops and improv classes for sure. No matter yes. if you're on camera or, or voiceover, everyone on the planet should take an improv class, totally. but especially actors. Um, and it's not to, even to become funny or to become quick or whatever. It just opens up and, you know, it opens up your your uh, mind to what happened just before these words on the script happened. And what, you know, it shows you infinite uh, ways into it from slapstick to dirge, um, you know, and you can go, you know, Michael Gelman, one of our directors back at Second City, yeah. uh, said to our cast once, Second City done well. You know, going through an improv process, going through a, a, a learning thing, we'll, you'll never again go into an audition going, what are you guys looking for? You'll go in going like, I have two ways that only I can do that you've not seen before that I can make this hilarious or meaningful or sad or whatever. Yeah. Um, like you're going to see a lot of options. And um, I just see a lot of actors going into auditions going uh, like, yes, memorized it. It's like, well, <laughs> hey, man, that's not even half of it like right. being off book is not the goal being right. that guy being that character is the is what you're trying to do right. um so yeah i see i see a lot of actors you know not going in and pressing the flesh and uh, as i said things in my life are, are going in a good direction right now it's a lot about relationships and mm. it's a lot about sales it's about staying in front of people and being meaningful you know like being earnest and, and genuine with people it's about you know like I did it and I see a lot of people do it where you're in a waiting room. You're going like, I'm wrong for this. I'm too old for this or I'm too young for this role. Like you're surrounded by, you know, I'm 46 there. You're surrounded by 25 year olds. Yeah. And you can go, what am I doing here? I drove across town for this. And you go, uh, I guarantee like the way to approach it is to say, I guarantee they're going to remember me. Cause first of all, I'm going to do this. I'm going to deliver this copy the way only I can. Uh -huh. um, but also like, I'm going to stick out for sure. And you're not auditioning for that role. You're auditioning for two years from now. Yes. When they go, who is that guy that was like 20 years older than everybody else in here, but was <laughs> hilarious? Let's bring that guy back. Yes. And that, those seeds that you plant germinate and you know, you're going to have to keep yourself alive for that, those two years, but those things uh, work. That's right. And good casting people in LA, and there are a lot of them, um, are superheroes because I've not seen like uh, when I first got to town, I uh, I I went to producers twice for the same. Uh, Drew Carey was producing a live improvised sitcom involving somebody from the Eagles. Thank God you're here, isn't that it? I think it was before that. Oh, uh, thank God you're here uh, came later. That okay. was kind of a almost like a game show uh of improv but this was like a narrative half hour of like one of the dudes from the eagles had a dude his roadie mooch lived in his pool house and then he had a smarmy manager and i read first i read for mooch and then i read for the manager and it was um sheila guthrie and susan goddard Smythe, and uh i did that and i i was like oh hollywood is easy like i went straight to producers i was meeting with sam simon and oh dan patterson and i was like oh this is gonna go great i should probably look at some cars um and uh and then you know i didn't i didn't book that which is not a mystery and uh and then years went by and i didn't see those two casting directors and i read for something honestly like maybe five years later and susan garter smith was like i know you and i was like well it's unlikely She's like, did you read for Mooch and the manager? I was like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. their brains are encyclopedias for actors and they remember stuff. Yeah. And uh, so it's, you know, your job is to be cool and to own the material and to go do something, you know, to take notes and not be precious about it. If they go, that was great. Please, here's some terrible direction. Your job is to kind of take that terrible direction or not, mm -hmm. you know, or do what you believe in and send that message. But um you are not auditioning for the role that you're auditioning for that day. You're auditioning Ever. for your career in Hollywood. And, you know, you've got to be cool and you've got to not need it. And it's a tough thing because 
uh, you know, a lot of people that move out here do so at great expense yeah. and uh, are doing, you know, they might have been a big deal back home. So it's emotionally difficult because, I mean, even if you leave the Second City main stage, I've, I've seen people come off the Second City main stage in Chicago and Toronto and come to L.A. and be like, hey, hang on a second. These people don't have any idea who I am. It's like, that's right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I remember you saying that uh, to me before coming out here. Like the one of the first things that you learned was like, just because it says Second City on your resume, that's 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 enough. Don't worry about which stage or where. Right. Uh, it, it because it does not matter here. It's like that's just another credit on your resume. Who are you? And it's such a it's such a democratic town in that way. That mm-hmm. There there isn't there's. When you're in a smaller market and there's the celebrities you're going up against, mm-hmm. they're not – I'm not competing. I, I want to come and compete. I want to lo- If I'm going to lose a job, I want to lose to not a local celebrity. Right. I want to lose to Matt Damon. Yeah. That, that's okay by me because I – you know what I mean? For sure. And uh, the point that you just made about the casting directors too I think is, is, is really, really important. And it was something I learned – quickly here was I had to redefine my notion of success. Mm-hmm. I'm not successful because I booked X and so. Right. I'm successful because I got in that room. Oh, yeah. And and made them laugh and smile and go, that was great. Thanks. Yeah. And, they're, and while it might seem like two, three years before I see them again, their mentality is like, it's only been two or three months. Yeah. You walk into a room after not seeing a casting director for a really long time and they're like, oh, yeah, good to see you again. And you're like, you remember. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. And- um I think that, uh, you know, to be human with those people, uh, like you realize now, you know, being here so long, uh, some of these people are friends of mine and you realize like, wait a second, they were rooting for me the entire time and they're rooting for all actors. Like they want you to succeed. They want to be blown away. They want to have difficult decisions. Um, I think too often, you know, early on, I can remember doing it myself where you're like, why does this feel like a trip to the principal's office hmm. to go into this room? Like, it shouldn't be that. This isn't a test of whether you've memorized it. You need to be so cold on the material that you can do it, you know, blindfolded. You could p- patter through it if at speed if you needed to. And for me, you need to be so, like, this is on-camera stuff generally. Obviously, with uh, with VO, you've got the copy in front of you generally. But you should be familiar with it and, yeah. and be able to do the same. But it, you should be able to know it so well that you can go in and comment on something in the room. Like, it shouldn't be so precarious a memorization or what have you that you're like, uh, you know, any questions, like, let's just do it before I lose it. You know, like, uh, it can't be that kind of relationship. You have to be able to go in and go like, this is a beautiful plant. Is this, what is this? You know? Yeah. Or notice something in the room or mention the weather or anything. Just be a human being. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, if you're, if you're cold enough on the material – and and familiar with it enough um, that you can just be a person that says something. They're like, they're prepared. And if we call them, they're going to be there and they're going to know it and they're going to be off book and they're going to be good at it, you know? Yeah. Um, the it's, it's about relationships and it's about, you know, asking for the sale too. Like hmm. um, with director friends of mine now, like I'll straight up uh, bug them about stuff, you know, um, and sometimes it works. Kong Skull Island. <laughs> you hounded for that role? Well, how did, how did, oh, how did I mean, anytime I read Jordan Vote Roberts' name in the trades, I text him. I'm like, who do I play? Who do I play? <laughs> like, I see that you're directing that. Who do I play? Um, I mean, he's a friend of mine, and we've you know worked together a bunch, bunch. But yeah. um, no, I do it with, I do it with, uh, you know, network television people. I mean, you got to be cool. <laughs> like, you can't right. be a monster. But um, just as with you know, going into your voice agency rather than emailing an MP3 from your bed. Yeah. Um, staying in front of people and reminding them, like, uh, there's only one of me on the planet. Like, nobody's going to deliver these lines the way that I do. And if um, if that fits your bill, it's a no-brainer. Like, right. don't make me come in. Like, offer it to me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm working to get that. I'm working to figure out how... Where that lives in me in an authentic place. Sure. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, uh, and there are places where I feel very comfortable and it's, and it's, I think, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very cool, like it's, it's, it looks magical, but I think like you say, it's just, it's coming from an authentic place. Oh yeah. I mean, I think it, 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 if it doesn't, it's really, uh, glaring. It's Mm. really, um, conspicuous if, you know, if you're, 
I can remember being at my very first on-camera uh, commercial agency here in town, and a woman came in with a client came in with a big tray full of like Jamba Juice for all the agents, and I was like, I'm not sure that that's the road, you know. Like, mm. uh, first of all, very expensive, very expensive, <laughs> um, but also like I'm not you know, like bribery, yeah, but also bribery, I guess. I mean, it's worth a try, I guess. You know, who knows? Who knows? Um, be good at it. And uh, be a fun person to be around, like be yeah. somebody that's going to show up and do it and be thankful and grateful. It's a delicate balance because you yeah. 100% have to feel like I belong and I'm worthy of, you know, being in the winner's circle of of castable people in Hollywood. So there's got to be some ego to it, some bravado. But then you also have to realize like, hey, man, there are a thousand more talented people than I am uh, who have moved back home already, you know, mm. so – be grateful and yeah. get in the shower and get in the van. <laughs> <clears throat> how did you um, how did you find yourself in in voiceover? Um, I know that you had you know the the radio experience, but if that was if that led you into that stuff or you know what that process was like, it was uh, I mean voiceover in particular in uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, was a funny story. I was doing something with, I was doing a one man show with uh, Larry Campbell at the Second City in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I was part of his one man show and like the local news came to do a story on him because he was on According to Jim yeah. or ha I, I think he was still on it. And um, he was doing a one man show and I did some, a lot of entrances and exits during it and stuff. And Garth Kemp, the uh, the weathercaster, came to like do a spot on Larry or whatever. And Garth Kemp and I got talking, and he was like, "Hey, you've got a great voice. You should do voiceover. Um, if you have a demo, uh, email it to me. I think this is email times, um, and uh, and I'll send it to my agent or whatever." And it, again, it was just a relationship thing. Like we, you know, we were hanging out one weekday morning for a couple of hours and and hit it off. And um, I was like, "Oh, I'll just make a demo." So I started calling around to studios and somebody, uh, I can't think of his name. His name is Michael something and I'll have to look him up and thank him because mm -hmm. um, he did me a great favor where he, I called and said like, what do you charge for doing a demo, for recording a demo? And he was like, well, we charge this, but like, what's your demo? Like, what's the copy going to be? And mm -hmm. is it, you know, animation or is it commercial or is it book on tape? What is it? And I was like, oh, all of it. And he's like, Oh, well, that's super the wrong answer. Like, that's not how it works. Um, and um, and he said, you know what? Do yourself a favor and go take a class with a friend of mine, and she will help you straighten it out. And it was Nancy Wolfson from Brain Tracks Audio. Mm -hmm. And I went, and she was like, okay. Uh, and she just helped me brand who I am, you know, because yeah. um, I can remember coming out to Hollywood initially and meeting with big, fat agents, and you'd be meeting with a film agent, and they'd be like, what do you want to do? And you're like, uh, television, film, all of it. And, they, and they, like, that's the wrong answer. You're talking to a film agent. You want to do film. Um, hmm. And so, you know, out here, I think in Detroit, it's probably less segmented. But um, commercial VO and animation and uh, narration and all that stuff is very specialized out here. At my voice agency, I have different agents for all of that stuff. Yeah, um, People really specialize. Um, and so – Working with Nancy Wolfson was great because she really did help me. You know, I through a series of, I don't know, maybe a dozen privates with her, really kind of find my way into the work, but also brand myself um, and realize, you know, there are things I shouldn't be doing. Like, it's a waste mm. of time for me to be like, trying to be the youthful guy doing the thing with the thing. And right. like, I can make fun of that. But there are people whose voice that is, you know, that are like, tonight on Fox. Um, right. Like, there are people whose sweet spot that is. And so why not exploit your sweet spot first? Yeah. Um, and it was very valuable. So I cut a demo with her. And then, uh, you know, uh, one of the luxuries, I assume she's still doing this, is that she will then shepherd you in. She hand wrote notes at the time uh, oh. along with my demo to a handful of very powerful agencies. And I signed uh, first with special artists. And then I moved over to uh, DPN, which had, uh, which had been ICM. Um, I can't even imagine how long I've been there now. I've probably been there over 10 years. Wow. Um, but it's like, you know, that was my bread and butter for a long time was yeah. voiceover. That was that was my first stable money in in the business in, in L.A. It's I mean, I think I, I adore Nancy mm -hmm. and have taken some some privates with her as well and, and found having someone outside of you, especially when you get to a place where 
where, where you work in a specific market where you, you're kind of a – I always thought of myself as a wood chipper. You throw something at me, I'll grind it up and, and figure out what it is. Sure. And because LA is so specialized, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, you're not going to see animation copy come through your mailbox that often when you're working in Chicago. It's almost exclusively commercial. Same thing in Detroit. Sure. So, so to, to prep and learn how to, how to compartmentalize those things and to figure out where that lives in you. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the I think the benefit of having the improv training, allowing you to adapt and build an ear for each of those different things, but then figuring out where does it actually live in you, where does it hit the tuning fork? That and uh, the anything is possible mentality of yes and. So yeah. it's 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 the way into the work going like well I can do this, uh, but then also going anything is possible and to to combine those two things with the relationship thing. It was in Nancy Wolfson's living room one day. That she uh, she gave me a piece of copy to work on, and I was you know I was looking at it for a couple of minutes. She turned around and was uh, answering her emails, and she over her shoulder said, "Do you do Sean Connery?" And I was like, "Sure." I 100% didn't. I had never done it before. And by the end of that hour with her, she's like, "Oh, you have an audition tomorrow for a, a VH1 animated show uh, to play Sean Connery." I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, and I went to the video store. And I rented that movie where Sean Connery uh, is with a young black man and he's like, you're the man now, dog. Or Finding Forrester. Finding Forrester. And for me, the way I watched it, you know, on I, it may have been a VHS, maybe it was a DVD, but I rewound it and rewound it. And for me, the way in was, better start that troop. Uh, <laughs> and, That's great. Yeah. And I'd got, I had the audition the next day and um, booked it. And it was a show called uh, illustrated, I-L-L, illustrated, and it was kind of an irreverent, you know, animated sketch show um, with people that I still work with. Jim Zulovic was a, the late Jim no Zulovic kidding. was a part of it. Yeah, he was one of the producers on it. Wow. Um, and Jim Biederman, and uh, I was cast by Tara Flanagan, who's still, she's in New York now, and she is still a casting person and still a friend of mine. And um, just by saying, you know, I think the improv mentality of saying finding yourself saying a lot of yes yeah. and going like, yeah, I'll read for it. Like, what's the worst? I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be there and Sean Connery is going to be there. You know, like, you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like, what's the worst that can happen? Right. So throw yourself into it and do something scary and try something you're, you know, you're not good at. Um, I'm not uh, much of an impressionist, um, but when you find sweet spots, like, you know, you'll find a couple of things. I learned through that show that I am Dick Cheney. Like, you know, like it was through that that it was like, oh, I can do that all day. <laughs> And I had no idea, like never, I no one that would never have come up in my career. Yeah. But they were like, do you do Dick Cheney? And you're like, oh, I guess so. Yeah. You know, like, Play I'll try. it for me and we'll figure it out. Right. Uh, it's one of the things I love about auditioning is that auditioning helps you find that you are limitless. Yeah. I, I'm, I had a, a similar thing with, I was doing Vince Vaughn. And oh, they're really? like, can you do it? Can you do a Tom Hanks? And I'm stand. I was in CESD's lobby going, I, I mean- I mean, how far it really is Tom Hanks off of Vince Vaughn? I guess if you pitch him down a little bit, he's there. So it was great. just this kind of thing wow. of like yeah. making these discoveries. <clears throat> I was talking, I just did a little bit of ADR on um, the new Fast and Furious movie. And I was cool. talking to a guy who said, uh, I do I do The Rock. I can't do Dwayne Johnson. Interesting. So I, you, wow. there are, and it's that same way of you were talking about Connery linking in on the, the, the One suit phrase. line. Yeah. That you find where that voice print aligns mm-hmm. to yours or what you can link into yeah. and then build off of that. I did a podcast with Paul F. Tompkins, uh, one of his sponta- early Spontaneous Nations, and uh, the suggestion had us in Savannah, Georgia. Uh-huh. And it was fans that told me after it came out uh, – they pointed out, because I never would have heard it, and I would never have tried this uh, impression in a thousand years, <clears throat> but my natural voice, when I begin speaking as though I am from Savannah, Georgia, comes out a little bit like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> and I never, that's actually not a very good version of it, because I'm coming off a cold, but like that, I never would have tried it in a million years, Yeah. but they heard it, and they were like, oh, you should do Morgan Freeman, you know? Um, <laughs> Those discoveries and the you know the yeah. willingness to try, I think, is the thing, and yeah. the improv willingness to try to go like this might be terrible. Yeah, I might be awful at this, but I'll give it a shot. You embrace know, embrace it. Yeah, 
you, go and, big. It, it, absolutely. Yeah. Do you commit to it? That's the only failure is if you're not if you're not jumping out of the plane. And again, I I would never to this day consider myself an impressionist. But when you find those sweet spots, you know, uh, like no one in the world can do my mother-in-law the way I am able to do my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when you do your mother-in-law? Mark, it's not. It's Mark. It's not. Um, she's very breathy. Um, <laughs> And also the pastor that married my wife and me uh, is somebody that I'm, I may be better at it than he is. Yeah. He's, uh, he uh, talks from back here and he also uh, likes to hang on things with no dramatic question remaining. He once began a sermon on a Sunday morning saying, my grandfather had a roll top desk it had six drawers, three on the left, and three on the right. <laughs> yeah. That sounded exactly like my grandfather. Is that right? Yeah. Grandpa Heinen. Yeah. Had a similar phrasing uh, from the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and a, <laughs> very dramatic. Very dramatic. Like, I mean, dead children knew he was going to say right. Like, there's only, <laughs> you already said left. He wasn't going to say center. Um, oh man! Yeah. Uh, no. So relationships are huge. Uh, the you know, um, there's sometimes ego. I th I find in like I'm like, well, I don't want to take a class or get a coach or whatever. Um, and those, it's more than just the training. Hmm. It's the relationships and who you're going to meet through it. Um, I, when I first moved out of here, one of the instructors at the Second City uh, Hollywood, when it was on Melrose next to the Improv, uh, had come through the Chicago program, and he was like. The people in my level five class were in my wedding. You know, like you make some of the best friends of your life yeah. uh, studying this stuff. And uh, and it does teach you both on stage and off, like and in life, uh, a bit of a fearlessness. It reduces the stakes for perfection, you know, enormously. Yeah. So that you're like, I'll try it. The worst that can happen is that it's, it blows and I won't get the job. And I know it. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's like I would, I would rather... I would rather take a risk and then get to the end of it and go, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and people have that happen on numerous occasions. People are like, don't beat yourself up like that. I'm like, I'm not beating myself up on right. it. I just know that that was a risk that was uh, yeah. worth taking, but but didn't work. And sometimes I won't. Like, I, I, you know, for me, it's an either or. It's like, oh, I'll throw myself into this. Or if they're like, do you want to try a British accent? It's like, no, there are two British guys in the hall. So no, like I'm going to do me the only w the way only I can, and that there's no failure in that either. Yeah. Um. But I would kind you know counsel people to not take themselves out of too much. You know. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. It's good to see how far you can go, but there's certainly been things that, like I cannot do a good Donald Trump to save my life. Is that right? I I I I can do a bunch of other things. Sure. But but I've had a couple auditions come down for Trump, and I, I, I try. That's funny, yeah. And I just cannot find my link into it. And I'm like, ah, I'm going to let it go. Yeah. But as, who knows? I mean, I think given time, you could probably work something out. But also, yeah. why? Like, right. I feel like it's a fairly saturated market. I think so. Yeah. I feel like with I, I prefer to do dead presidents. Yes. Like, <laughs> I did Nixon for a book. Oh, cool. It was great. It's like a 12-hour audiobook called wow. Crooked. Yeah. And narrated the whole thing as Richard Nixon, and it was a blast. Oh, man. Like a Lovecraftian alternate reality of uh, explaining the Watergate uh, affair. Wow. But through uh, using, like, Cthulhu and demons and all that kind really? of Really? And it's a really well-written book, yeah. That's cool. It was a blast. Uh, that's a deep, like, 12 hours of that. It's got to put have you in you, a have headspace. You, have you done an audio book? No, all? I haven't. It's something else. It involves reading a book. Yes, it does. <laughs> Not all books are, 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 are fort worthy. I don't know. Uh, but but <laughs> it's a kick in the head. Tell me, one of the one of the things that I, I really wish I got a chance to see you do mm. uh, was Thrilling Adventure Hour. Oh, yeah. It was such a unique uh, production. Uh, can can you tell me a little bit about how that how you how that came to be and how sure. you get to be a part of that? It's it's the very same story as all these others. It's <laughs> uh it's from saying sure why not, um, so the thrilling adventure hour is a uh, is was a staged uh, production in the style of old time radio, mm -hmm. and it had that conceit because two writer friends Ben Acker and Ben Blacker 
um, who uh, went to Syracuse University together um, and real names were Ben Acker, Ben Blacker. I think they literally found themselves in a line one day, you know, divided by like A through C, D through G kind of thing. Um, and they became writing partners and they they had written a um, they had written a space Western. They had written a thing called Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars. Uh-huh. And uh, wanted to hear it out loud. So they had sort of like an informal table read in their living room. And they were, you know, fairly, this is 15 years ago. And they were um, sort of new to the business, obviously. And were like, wow, these actors bring so much that even we didn't intend hmm. to the to these words. Um, how do we, they frame it as, how do we exploit our friends uh, <laughs> to, you know, be able to hear more of our work kind of thing. Huh. And so the radio, the old time radio hour, microphones across the front of a stage, you know, uh, Natalie dressed uh, actors and actresses, pages in hand. Mm-hmm. That conceit was just really born of like, we don't want to rehearse too much. Yeah. We don't have blocking. We don't want to have memorization or, you know, like, and it, uh, because of that, it became very easy for the actors to do. We would rehearse like, you know, an hour uh, earlier in the week kind of thing and then come and do it. Initially, it started at M-Bar on uh, Fountain and Vine mm. in Hollywood. We were there for five years before moving to Largo at the Coronet. Wow. And um, because it was so low lifting, because the words were in your hand and it was really sort of an audio play, um, uh it was a great revolving door for celebrities and stuff, for yeah. guest actors to come in because it, it didn't require much rehearsal. I mean, uh, if need be, we could do it in the dressing room, you know, at six o'clock that evening kind of thing yeah. before the show. Um, and it turned into this really wonderful 10 um, uh, year run of, yeah. you know, there are several hundred uh, episodes of podcasts. And these two are, you know, absolutely brilliant and created not just Sparks Nevada, Marshall on Mars, but uh, Beyond Belief, which are sort of like the Thin Men movies, the Nick and Nora movies. Yeah. It's, it's Frank and Sadie Doyle, and they're two very rich, very drunk uh, uh, socialites that solve ghost problems. Like they, you know, <laughs> um, and the adventures of Colonel TikTok and uh, Moonshine Holler, and they just create all these very vivid worlds. And they brought, they uh, sort of curated this wonderful cast of. Um, you know, Paget Brewster and Paul F. Tompkins and Craig Kakowski and Mark Gagliardi and Hal Lublin and Annie Savage. And then that spread to being Busy Phillips and Janet Varney and Autumn Reeser and, you know, lots and lots of people. And um, including, you know, like our core cast was was uh, really solid. And then all these movie stars were like, can we come play? Um, <laughs> and it was born out of uh, I was teaching at the Second City in Hollywood uh, on Melrose. And one night uh, because there wasn't a resident company there on Wednesday nights, the teachers like yeah. the Second City alum would improvise to kind of give the students, uh, you know, a little taste of what's possible. And one night after that, um, one of the students, uh, Mark Gagliardi, uh, said, hey, um, I have a friend who's uh, he teaches writing in the writing program at Second City. You haven't met him yet. Uh, he wants to ask you to come be in this thing. So he pitched me playing this, you know, Marshall on Mars in a space Western. And it didn't, you know, on its face, it didn't sound like much. And you, I had no idea who he was. And I, and I was just like, sure, I'll come, you know, to a rehearsal this week or whatever. Yeah. And then synergy happens because they had written him as kind of a straight ahead hero. And I'm not capable of a lot that's straight ahead. Uh, so I played him more like I play a lot of things like where I find funny, which is like kind of, a a dumb guy with a big ego. And, uh, and, uh, we found that character somewhere in the middle and, um, and did it for 12 years, you know, um, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus now. We did a 10 year run and, and kind of brought it to a close. We took the show to Australia and New Zealand. Man. Um, uh, we've been to lots of cons around the country and, uh, I hope to take it to, uh, Detroit mm. and to London, um, but we're taking a little bit of a break, and because uh, everybody's gotten busy, which is a good thing. That's a great. Thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all born of going like, sure, I'll show up, you know, rather than going like, wait, what have you done? And can yeah. I see your reel and whatever? Yeah, knowing full well that if you go to that first rehearsal and it it tanks, or you know, they're like, oh, these people aren't capable of this, then you're gonna go. I'm not available any longer, and there's no you know harm or foul in that. But right. yeah, just being available, finding yourself saying a lot of yes, it's it can really take your life in unexpected and fun ways. I 100% agree. Yeah. I, and there's something really wonderful in that, in discovering uh, an artistic 
home. Oh yeah. Among among a bunch of people, we had a voiceover improv group that was like that. Just this one person was like, "Hey, you know, come play with us." And a year and a half later, you just these people are, you know, family. Family. Yeah. And I, I that's one of the one of the unique things about this community of of artists is that uh, in in every direction, regardless of discipline, mm-hmm. that that uh, we're all kind of seeking that that artistic connection to other people with different skill sets and all that other kind of thing. And there's that unifying thing that brought you to this place. I think that that's a really healthy thing too, because um, also inherent in this work is competition. Yes. And so that unifying thing can be very valuable. I uh, before I ran into you yesterday, I uh, I was at a uh, session for a uh, pilot and uh, it was for a recurring role in a pilot and it's fascinating to like there were some guys there that were that you could feel some nerves and some some need and then I was there with my friend you know like uh, when I arrived I saw my friend uh, Ithamar Enriquez and I saw my friend Eugene Cordero and you realize like I would love it if they got it Yeah, I would love to get this I suppose um, but I would love it if they got it. And if they get it, it's because they were right for it. And they, you know, fit the bill for what the show needs, what the network needs, whatever. Um, and they are doing what they're doing kind of thing. Yeah. So there's no, like, I never once have somebody walk into a waiting room and go, oh, man. Like, that person's here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, Mr. Belding was at that audition yesterday. Yes, I saw. <laughs> uh, and the, which was hilarious. <laughs> so, yes. um, you know, like uh, we live in a weird town where uh, yeah. some of those things happen. That's right. Like that story I told you yesterday about being in the booth. Um, <laughs> oh man. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's crazy. It's it's the it's. Uh, I, I love it. I th- these are the things about this particular path that I didn't expect. Sure. And they're and they're the they're the most fun and and joyous parts of it too of mm-hmm. like just like i don't know yeah i don't know where i'm going my dig it it um it's a fascinating world it's totally worth it um uh you better love it yeah. and you better be great at it yeah. um like i know a lot of people that love to laugh and that's not reason enough to go into comedy um but if you feel your soul driven to create material and to you know, it's not about being on, on Letterman. <laughs> it's not about being on talk shows. Like, that's a side effect of uh, of what comes from this stuff. But, yeah. like, um, I honestly feel sort of like Ricky Gervais said in, in Extras. Like, um, looking back, like, uh, I, I don't have what it takes to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, um, I can't imagine my life not doing this, you know. Yeah. I don't know that this is the end all and be all. I, I may do other things as well. But um, I simply can't see, like, I'm not good at anything else. When, and when you try, when you find yourself in those places, and, and sometimes because of saying yes, you find yourself in a place where you're in a, in a, in a, in a lecture hall and, you know, at the Bellagio mm-hmm. going, um, uh, this was great. Thank you for this. Yeah. And I'm glad that the check is cleared, but I know why I don't, I, why I'm not in this world all the time. Oh yeah. You mean if you were one of the office workers that has come to a convention? Sure. Yeah. Or that or or even sometimes you'll do, you know, we do the corporate event and you know you're and you're working with people who are producing it or whatever. Right. I, I mean just there's so you, you know the vastness of this of this career path and For you sure. intersect with so many different folks. Oh yeah. Like when one of when people are like uh oh, someone's like you know, uh, well, no pressure. You know, you know, when right. someone comes over to you and tells you that as you're getting ready to present something to their boss, right. where they're feeling the pressure and try to give it to you, my response is always, yeah, no, you're right, no pressure. I don't feel any pressure. I feel no pressure. Yeah. Because I'm going to leave here and whether I work for you or not tomorrow, right. um, I- I'm going to keep going. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's enormously liberating to be able to, uh, you know, have that perspective. Um, and also on the on the weekend of it, on the weakness tip of it, um, if you told me that I had to sit at a desk uh, between now and five o'clock, my throat would close in the first half hour. Like I I couldn't do it. Yeah. I've done it. You know, I guess I had office jobs before, but um, it is just a mindset that I'm not 
uh, I think it's one of the things that's exciting about this work too, mm. is also the lottery fever of stuff. Like if I yeah. knew, if I knew with cost of living adjustments, what I was going to make for the rest of my time on the planet, it, I'd be bored. But you know, every once in a while in this business, when you book a gig, you're like, Ooh, a little, like I just won the m micro lottery, you know, like <laughs> yeah. this will keep me going for another couple months kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that people should be prepared for too, I guess, is that, you know, I consider myself very fortunate and it's been a long road, but like it, I'm not set, you know what I mean? Like it's still a hustle and yes. you still are looking, um, nothing is, is anticipatable. Like I suppose outside having a serious regular job on a television show, but even those can go away tonight. Boy, you, you know, that's right. Um, you can't rely on it. No. Um, and there is a, a bit of a mindset where you book a big thing and you're like, okay, so it's this or better from here on out. And you go, nope. Like I have plenty of friends that were our series regulars on television shows for years and years. And then the phone doesn't ring for a while yeah. and they have to kind of go back to the farm team. And, you know, then you start seeing them at commercial auditions and stuff, which you didn't for a while. Yeah. Um, I was talking about, uh, with Ptolemy Slocum yesterday at, at that commercial audition. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the lab techs on Westworld. Oh, wow. And I've known him out here just from being in waiting rooms for probably, you know, uh, eight, ten years. And um, he, uh, he and I were talking about, you know, just that, that notion that, um, that it's about being time on task and just being in it and, and being cool and... Uh, you know, showing up. That's it. Yeah. Dude, this has been really, really great. Oh, is it over? Uh, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've just passed our hour mark. I like it. Uh, well, what I really appreciate about about this conversation, too, as I, as I go back over the last hour and analyze, uh, I, I just I really love the the practical nuts and bolts, like not only – Oh, the the mindset that's required to 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 hang in and and to have a, a long view about your career. I think it's I think, and and coming back to to where we started of just saying yes, yeah, to opportunity is uh, and to to not know where it goes, but but trust it. Yeah, and I you know as with all things in life, it's a balance. Like there are definitely mm -hmm. things um, that uh, that I've said no to. I can remember a couple of years ago going out for a uh, uh, an audition for Philips and um, got there. I thought it was Philips Electronics and it was Philips Colon Health. And I called my people afterwards and I was like, guys, I, I think I'm done with these. Like, I think I don't want to play the guy uh, with uh, gastritis. You know, like, I don't think I want to be that guy anymore. Like, I think I may be beyond that. Um, and like, I just don't want to, you know, like I want to insulate my brand and it feels egotistical to even say something like that, but you have to a little bit, you yeah. know? So it's a balance. I mean, um, but generally say yes to a lot of stuff, you know, challenge yourself, be, be a little bit, uh, risk taking and, uh, the rewards can be great. How can people find you social media and that kind of stuff? And what, uh, here's, this is actually one of my favorite questions and I haven't asked it in a while, but what's something that you've done that either uh, you're exceedingly proud of and it hasn't gotten a lot of attention that mm. you would love people to see. Like if, you're, if you're interested in seeing something that's kind of cool and surprising, I'd love for people to check this thing out. Um, there are lots of those. Um, my, people can find me on Twitter at, at Mark Evan Jackson. It's M-A-R-C-E-V-A-N-J-A-C-K-S-O-N. Um, the, the thing that uh, stops me like I I've done enough work now that uh, I sometimes get you know spoken to in public uh, yeah. and it's great and if it's you know Parks and Rec or Brooklyn Nine Nine or The Good Place or Twenty Two Jump Street or Kong Skull Island all of that is great but I really stop and talk to people when they ask me about Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars from the Thrilling Adventure Hour which I encourage people to check out um, on the podcast networks I don't know where it is. Um, but the Thrilling Adventure Hour, or a movie called Kings of Summer, uh -huh. uh, which is a beautiful independent movie uh, from a few years back, uh, very reminiscent of early Amblin movies. It's a coming-of-age film, um, and I, uh, the only real adults in it are, are Nick Offerman, Megan Mullally, and me, and it's about kids who run away from home and build a house in the woods one summer, and it's gorgeous. 
Um, but the thing about it, which I'm exceedingly proud, is the Detroit Creativity Project. Mm. Um, my wife and I started a charity five years ago to offer improv instruction free of charge in middle and high schools in Detroit. And uh, it's pretty great. We've taught uh, you know over 2,000 students to improvise in the last five years. Wow. Uh, we're raising a lot of money to do it. It's a very lean organization. We're paying our friends that are still in Detroit, uh, you know, people that we came up with and that uh, that are improvisers there, to go into these schools and offer this life-changing uh, curiosity and confidence builder. Um, it's it's something that really informs social and emotional learning. We've just finished a two-year program, a two-year study with the University of Michigan to evaluate the program, and it's like there are empirical scientific data showing that students have less social anxiety and less social phobia wow. and less depression as a result of That's this thing. So people can check it out at dcpimprov.org. It's the Detroit Creativity Project, and uh, I'm exceedingly proud of it. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much for spending some time. And thank you. It was you. just great to be able to sit across from you and yeah, chat yeah. about stuff we haven't talked about in either before or in a long time. It's just really good to see you, man. And you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening, and uh, we'll holler at you soon. Uh, let me find that. There's the play. Peace. Thank you for joining us on All Over VoiceOver with Kiff VH. Please take a moment to review the show and let other folks know what you thought. And if you dug it, please subscribe. Follow the show on Twitter at AllOverVO and check out our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AllOverVO with Kiff VH. That's it for this time. You get what you get and don't get upset. Claim victory and depart the field.